You're listening to Season 2 of NFT 365. Talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and... What the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365. Here's your host and digital futurist, Brian Fanzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And uh, just to forewarn you, uh, you know, Outlining and kind of talking AI, you know, even beyond the the keynotes and things that I love to talk about, uh, it could be like five hour episode, and uh, I'm going to avoid that. Uh, kind of simplifying some of the conversation, kind of bringing that into uh, hopefully what matters in Web3, but also challenging each and every one of you that are listening. Uh, hit me up with questions or things that you would love for me uh, to attack or approach uh, on the topic of AI and Web3, NFTs. Uh, and I will definitely include that in some future episodes. Of course, this is, you know, AI uh, really fits beautifully into the Web3, uh, you know, futurist conversation. And I know for many, uh, it's actually taken over a lot of the, the research and things that they're focused on from, you know, maybe blockchain, NFTs, Web3, and AI. And I'm not going to connect uh, some of those dots for, you know, everyone listening here. Uh, also excited because I will say, for me... Where I'm going to go with this conversation right now that you're listening to, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about prompting, uh, about understanding some of these nuances that people talk about, but I'm also going to connect the dots to things that can really help us, not just those that create NFT projects, not just those that are NFT collectors, but how we like approach and think about like the future of our businesses and where business is actually going. But before we get there, you know, I think the the other part of this thing can just be very overwhelming. And I want to make sure uh, we hit home uh, on this episode is that, you know, AI, not only has it been around artificial intelligence, been something that, you know, the, the Turing test uh, was in 1950, right? And that was kind of the, you know, Alan Turing, which was kind of like the originator proposed the first test for machine intelligence or machine learning um, way back in 1950. And of course, there was lots of, you know, kind of, we you had from like the 60s to the late 90s uh, of kind of a, a transformation of how we think about a lot of the things that come into, uh, you know, AI, the future of AI, where all of this goes. But for me, you know, it actually, uh, you know, my world into AI was kind of introduced in 2011. And 2011, there was two kind of big things that kind of landed in our world. Uh, the first one being Siri, which we have on our, our phones, right, where you can ask Siri uh, and understanding that this was really the first place of like mass adoption integration of some type of artificial intelligent virtual assistant, which was of course into our Apple uh, devices, but also in 2011 was also IBM Watson and Watson's really it became the, the question answering machine. Uh, and most people know about it from the, the Jeopardy, the fact that it won the $1 million prize and beat everybody uh, on Jeopardy. But I actually started working with IBM and, uh, and actually it was IBM Twitter uh, on their kind of alpha beta testing uh, of their solution way back in 2011, 2014, that time frame. But the reason I, I say all that context really is important is it also kind of bled into many of us starting to use tools 
tools like Alexa or smart speakers like Google. And, and then that also led us to some of these other, you know, kind of current uh, adoptions of technology. And I don't know if you guys can tell, but now my damn Alexa is talking to me in the background, which let's face it, uh, I wish that, you know, AI was smart enough to know that if there's a microphone in front of me or it sounds like I'm ranting, that it shouldn't pick up the smart speaker. But hey, artificial intelligence doesn't mean it's, it knows everything or it's perfect. But I think all of that context is important because a lot of the the framework and structure of how we do things digitally, how we do things in our real life was really important to actually set the framework for artificial intelligence. And so one of the questions that I was posed of recently when I got off stage, you know, I give a talk called uh, Shrink the Distance. Uh, and Shrink the Distance really re- talks about the future of technology and how, it, how we need to, we have to shift our perspective for not about how can we do more things or reach more people, but how can we shrink the distance between ourselves and our audience, ourselves and our customers, ourselves and our community, and really ourselves and our inner selves using technology, things like AI, Web3, blockchain. And I will tell you, one of those ways for us to shrink the distance is looking at at the impact AI is going to have, not in the sense of using more AI tools like ChatGPT or MidJourney or OpenAI, but more on the fact of what other things are going to, you know, what other innovations are going to be able to take leaps or what other things are we going to be able to rethink that once AI is kind of more, uh, you know, from a mass adopted perspective. And, And I also just want to be clear, right? It's important to recognize that, Although ChatGPT exploded right into everyone's kind of conversation, I know uh, you know it, it now is you know incorporated into uh, Microsoft Bing, where you have that you know component of it. But the the thing that to know is, I think for most people, and probably even most of you that are listening to the this episode, you know, it's one of those things like, oh, that's cool, I like that. Um, it did these two or three things that people thought of as examples, and then we go back to living our lives normally and and using technology like we have it because. The, the truth of the matter is a lot of the idea of the functionality of the things that we're trying to look at for AI right now, they were solved somewhere else. Like someone came to me the other day and they were like, Brian, ChatGPT has allowed me to come up with topics and ideas to be able to create content around that I never even thought of before. And I was like, have you ever heard of the website called askthepublic.com? And they were like, no. And I was like, well, I think it's been around since 2014. And that's literally what that, that tool does. And you can still go there today. And if there's a topic that you want to, to you know, create content around or you want to build your marketing or you want to include in your email newsletter, you can go to that website, type in the topic, and it's going to give you a hundred different ideas around that topic and what people are asking about and, and what are, what's the most popular topics. And so funny enough, a lot of where AI now is exciting is there are places that that stuff existed, but the intelligence element of building on top of it, right? Because it's one thing to have someone suggest topics for us to be able to create content around. It's another thing for it to be able to suggest topics for us then to give it more context for it to outline those topics. And then for us to ask more questions and then for it to start to help write with us and then for it to actually help create the landing pages and the output, right? Because this is where a lot of this is going. And, but the truth of the matter is if you still at this moment, if you're not sure what or why you want to do something, 
AI is not going to be the answer today, right? Because you almost have to still start at the end and work your way backwards. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that and some things that you want to think about with AI and prompting and those things. But from a bigger picture thing, the thing that we have to also think about is that, you know, there was, there was a time, uh, and those that are younger than me, you know, where if you wanted to learn something from the past, you had to go to these books that were printed called encyclopedias, right? And, uh, you know, for many of us, we grew up with a bunch of encyclopedias on the, the bookshelf. I remember when I, my family got a new encyclopedia, it was like a mind blowing thing. Like, oh my goodness, now my, my, I'm going to be able to really show off what I know at school. Well, that was mostly my brothers. I was, I was more like, oh gosh, now I have to, you know, find stuff in these new books. But, uh, but I, I will say the thing that I want us to think about is, you know, where, where has technology been added to our lives that hasn't really improved our life? We just now do something with technology that we were doing without technology before. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of things in our day-to-day lives today that let's face it, like, you know, like we, we could change the volume in our car by twisting a button. Well, now the volume to our car is a button on our steering wheel but there's also 30 buttons on the steering wheel. I don't know about you, but when I rent a car, I get so overwhelmed because I'm not sure what button to press to change the volume on my stereo that I'm like, oh man, I wish that I could just go back to the twist dial because then I at least knew where the thing was and I knew that it did that, right? Like, And so the reason I also think this is an important to, to part of this conversation is right now it is easy to be overwhelmed with tools and technology. And I will just tell you, uh, and I'm putting up here for those that are watching on video, but I'll, I'll put a link to this uh, in the show notes. Um, the generative AI ecosystem, right? The, the, the amount of tools and things that are out there, like it's growing and multiplying every single day. Now, the reason that this is important from a context perspective is just like every technology, right? Like if you, if you were, you know, when first computers were first kind of put out into the world, your option for what operating system you used was enormous, right? You could use Linux or, uh, you know, we had, I mean, we have lots of different, uh, you know, not only computers themselves, but ways that we could even think about using, uh, you know, our, our tools. And then if you even think about it now, like if I wanted to create a document to send somebody, how many different documenting tools, you know, you can create on Google Docs or Word or, um, you know, in Notion or, you know, I could probably tell you a hundred different tools where you can almost do the exact same thing. And the interesting part of that is one of the hardest things that I think of when we think about like, you know, adoption of technology and even how we use technology today is people don't want new tools. People don't want new apps. Like, and if you're like, ah, I mean, ask yourself, like when someone recommends an app for you, right? When you're out at dinner or you're at happy hour and someone's like, oh my goodness, you haven't seen this new app. I got to show you. Our first thought is, oh man, another new app. Or I don't need another TikTok. I I already am overwhelmed with Instagram notifications. The last thing I want is TikTok to you know more consumption or more um, creation. And so we have to we have to understand that what got us to that problem is the fact that we were throwing tools at problems and throwing tools and claiming that they were the solution when really the tool wasn't really the solution. And and I will tell you, I always I use this line on on stage is that. Our problem of automation and technology today isn't that we didn't have enough tools. It's that when we had tools, 
most of them were programmed by a bunch of fools with tools, right? And, you know, there's plenty of tools that make us look like fools. There's plenty of fools using tools. But the idea of where tools are integrated, it's more about the right tool at the right time that provides the right output or the right um, end, end solution. But it also has to be integrated into our workflow, into our lives, right? And we all can think about that from anything. Like if you were one of the first people in your family that got an iPhone, like it blew your mind that people were using flip phones and Blackberries. But part of the reason was is they liked the physical keyboard on a Blackberry or they liked the idea that, you know, for for their version of SMS, like there was a different way of doing things. And so the, the mindset change, the, 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 the actual positioning change of a lot of this technology can be overwhelming. And so I want to tap into that and talk a little bit about prompting, right? And, you know, I've heard these, uh, you know, things being put out there that right now the, the job title of prompt engineer um, is like a north of $300,000 a year. Companies are currently paying someone to be a prompt engineer. But I will tell you, being a prompt engineer and for those that aren't familiar with this context, right? Like how you talk to AI is what you're, you're prompting it, right? But it's really no different in a way than how you prompt Google, right? Like for, for whatever reason, we love to like put these little, like these terms and like labels on things. I think we'd put it there to polarize people. Like I have a personal problem when people add complex terminology and complex terms in my opinion, they're doing that to make themselves sound smarter and make the distance between the, those who know and those that don't know greater, right? There's like people that like think of that way. So that's why I like to think like my job for this podcast and, and the content I create is to translate the geek speak, to translate what is going on so that you can decide if it's right for you, but also understand it in real world terms, technology, use cases, you know, adoption and so on. Now I will tell you, the, one of the biggest things that prompting is different from the standpoint of what you would just hit Google search is most of the way that we search today, we've been programmed based on what we've learned with Google. Like remember when you first used Google ever, right? When you were first going on there, we, we mostly were like, we would just put in like two words and like our minds would be blown with the results. But then we started to realize that just because something's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. Just because something's the first search result doesn't mean it's the best result. And also, if we don't ask Google exactly what we want, we aren't going to get answers the exact way that we want, right? So we almost started changing that. And I will say one of the biggest changes happened when we went to voice, right? And anyone that uses voice commands in their house, right? It can be your um, your smart remote on your TV could be your smart speakers in your house. When you, when you ask it basic questions, it doesn't know what to do. So you start to be really dialed in. And like my daughters are so funny. My daughters, when they're talking to our smart speakers, like when my oldest goes to take a shower, we always hear, cause she's yelling at the smart speaker, what song to play or what album to play. But the way she sets the context is she tells it, I want this musician from this app from this album and I want you to start on this song and shuffle it through this way. What she doesn't realize is she's prompting that AI based on all of that input. Now the big game changer becomes when that smart speaker realizes that that person talking to it is not me, that it's my 13 year old daughter and that my 13 year old daughter always 
leans towards these type of behaviors and she only listens to this app, when these things really start becoming smart is that she doesn't have to add that context. It would inherently know, hey, that is not Brian's voice. That is his daughter's Chloe's voice. And Chloe will. And so eventually like that, this is how the, the, the programs start to work with us. The funny thing about this is most people assume chat GPT or mid journey or these tools are already at that level. And I'm here to tell you that if you're not providing it context, if you're not setting the stage or the temperature or managing what, what, how you want it to respond to you, it's not going to know who you are or build that base on. Now, if you are using like the paid plan uh, on GPT-4 or chat GPT-4 right now, um, there are some things where you can save and, and I, I'll talk about that in a minute. So that's one of the most important pieces. The other thing I want you to think about, and this is really important, is that right now the complexity in getting AI to do what we want is because we are so damn early with how these tools are using. Like honestly, GPT-4, the technology itself and like what ChatGPT is, is the most basic and vanilla and kind of like blah output that you could ever get. But it's the first time many of us are able to tap into a technology that still it needs to grow, still needs to have better UI and UX. It still needs to fit into our, in our into our day-to-day lives in a way that makes more sense. Now, the funny part about this is I actually believe blockchain technology will be one of the vehicles to allow AI to be integrated seamlessly into our future, right? And because part of the scary thing with AI is how is it using our data? What data is it pulling from, right? And, and when you hear some of the scare tactics that exist out there, right? The, the scare tactics are, are not about the current AI, the, the, what we, you know, you might've heard on the news with Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak and all these people, um, trying to put a, a moratorium on AI creation, what they're talking about is AI where it's starting to create human-based learning. And we are way off from that. The, that's what they're worried about, right? And unfortunately, the media takes that and like, oh my God, they don't want people creating new plugins with the AI tools that are there. That's not, that's not what they're worried about. What they're worried about is creating, you know, automating, prompting, and using AI to replace or do things that we probably as humans shouldn't have computers ever doing, right? Like there are a lot of things that need situational awareness, need empathy. There's also a lot of things that require much more than just the input of data sources. And we also don't have the compute or, or technology at our disposal to do a lot of the things that we want it to do. But I want to talk about prompting for a second. So prompting, the one of the biggest things that I like to tell people is that it's about talking with the technology, not talking at it. Now, I don't want to say that because it sounds like a clickbait headline or a tweet that I can put out. And everyone's like, yes, yes. And maybe you're nodding right now. You're like, yes, Brian is right. Talk with it. But if I asked you, what do you mean? What do I mean by talk with it? And give me some examples. Many people are going to be like, um, well, uh, you don't just ask it questions like that. You know, so I want to give you a little bit of that context. And what I mean by that is you need, when you're talking with someone, like especially in person, there are a lot of factors that allow the conversation to be framed in a certain way, right? When you are, when you're meeting up with a, a friend that you haven't seen in a while, the, when you're first having a conversation with them, 
you're not having the exact same conversation. You're not framing the same questions as you would as your best friend or your spouse, right? Because you have all this additional context, you know, all of these different things. And that is actually allowing you to have the conversation differently than you would with someone that you hadn't or a stranger or like, you know, the place that I despise the most is when I get on the airplane, right? Every person I get on the airplane, the question that I despise the most is, Hey, uh, Nice to, you know, glad we're sitting next to each other. Uh, business or pleasure? I, I want to put my head through the window of the airplane because that question to me is the most useless use of my time and energy because let's face it, they don't care about the answer. Our social norm has become uncomfortable where they just want to kind of start a conversation because they would rather do that than think about the fact that they're in a silver bullet that is full of germs and, and they're uh, the unknown of flying and all those other things. And so like, and I, and I say that because when I say talk with the technology, what, what that really means is if you are going to you know, allow the unknown to be able to dictate, you have to know that. And so if you are going into you know, using AI tech today and you're thinking of it like, oh my God, this is going to replace everything in my life, it's only going to replace what you're able to serve it today. Now, I will tell you, I'm a big fan of giving it a bunch of my data so it knows a lot more about me, but how we store that, how that's managed, here's the here's the segue, I believe has to be on the blockchain. We need transparent access to what data and how things are used. I mean, let's face it, people right now that hate on AI art, most people hate on AI art for one reason. Well, they use this one reason. Well, I'm going to say two reasons. One of them is they think anybody can do it. And um, even though they've never tried it to the point that they've tried it, they believe it's so easy. You just put a bunch of words in there. It spits out art. And that's not really art. And, and it's, and it's going to replace the artist. The other thing that people worry about, the number two one there, is they think it's just stealing other people's public art. And that's what, what it's used for. But I will tell you, I've, I've now used a generative model where I've taken 20,000 things that I've created, added it to a model to where I'm now prompting against my own art, not against anything public. The other thing we have to remember is that if, if it's using public data, public art, public information and images to add context, not copying that, it's no different than every other art and tool that has existed since the beginning of time, right? It's like someone that's be- became a painter and they were inspired because they, they looked at a sculpture, right? If that sculpture of David inspired them to create art, are they copying the sculpture of David? No, they're using that as a reference or that was an inspiration and they're now able to create something. AI art is no different in that, se- in that standpoint. Now, Yes, you can use it for evil. Yes, you can use it for skipping the steps. All technology since the beginning of time can be used for evil or for bad people to do bad things. The question becomes, how do we set ourselves up for success in this AI-driven world? And so I, I mentioned that we should talk with the, the, the AI, right? The other thing you have to think about is you have to know what you don't know, but you also have to know what the tool that you're using doesn't know or you don't know what they know, right? Like, and so one of those things for me is if you're going to ask it for you know, a question about medicine, for example, right? Like, you know, I know there's a lot of doctors that would say like the worst thing ever invented was, you know, the, uh, the WebMD site, right? The WebMD site, anyone that has gone to WebMD. And I remember when I was married, that was like the website that we first had our kid that my, we, I actually blocked it on the browser so that my ex-wife couldn't go to it. And she knew it. 
because if you put certain things into WebMD, like it's going to diagnose you with 3000 different things that you have wrong with you because it's only based on like what the input is and what it's pulling from. And so the reason I use that as an example is that if you're using AI and you're unsure where it's pulling its information from, or you haven't given it context, then that unknown is going to leave you with an unknown feeling of like, oh, how do I know that it's right? How do I know what it's doing? And so one of the, the tricks to using a lot of these AI tools is to giving it context or asking it or prompting it to provide something in some in a way that you know, right? So you can say things like only reference Harvard um, white papers for answering this question, right? So now it's only going to answer a question based on Harvard white paper. So now you're kind of controlling the data center, but data set. But let's face it, how do you even know that a Harvard white paper is any better than another white paper, right? It's like, these are the things you have to think about. The other thing is you can use these AI tools to train off of your existing information. So like one of the things that I did and one of the things I'm excited about with like Grammarly is that I've written, you know, for, for about six years, I wrote one blog post a week, every single week. I have all of that content that is out there. And so if I want a tool to help with me writing something, shouldn't I be able to give it all of that information and say, Hey, use this as the situational awareness, understand me and the way I write, and then help me write something based on all of that additional context. And you can do that within chat GBT, within Bing, within a couple of these tools right now. Now, the other part of this that I think is really cool is that you can also add examples to prompts, right? So you can say, please reference this and, and create an output that is similar to this, but frame it this way, right? So you can, you can add a lot of this, you know, context, this situational awareness. You can tell it, you can give it something that it, it can build upon. And this goes into just like AI is no different than, you know, anyone that's had a boss that was like one of those bosses. And I had one, I had a, one of these bosses. And, and the funny part is I think he actually might listen to the podcast and uh, I won't give his name. Um, but he knows like one of the things that like I end up helping him with was that I'm a big ideas guy and I like shiny objects, but I'm also one that I don't like to brainstorm or attack topics unless I know what success looks like. And so oftentimes we would get on the whiteboard and we would just try to brainstorm everything in the world. And anyone that's done that, you kind of get lost. It kind of is like a hodgepodge of nothing. But if you go in there saying, hey, this is the box that I want to work within, and you start brainstorming within there, all of a sudden it changes the creativity. It doesn't mean that you get stuck inside of a box, but it does allow us to do some things that are really cool and clever. So the reason that this is important, especially for those in Web3, is like one of the things that I'm working with chat with AI on is I wanted to look at all of my NFT investment history and tell me what it learned, what it can tell about me and what are some of the good things I did with NFTs I bought? What are the bad things that I've done with NFTs I bought? Now, I know for some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, I could, I could do that. Now, right now there's tools like you can use, you know, there's a lot of you know, tax tools. There's a lot of other tools that will tell you based on the price points. But what if it was able to, to, to link that to the context of my tweets and my discord activity, right? So if, if, if I'm getting a lot of value and I'm engaging and I have a very positive outlook on a project and the floor price is low, but like my 
overall use and value and connections is grand. Like I will tell you, one of the things I want AI to do for me is I want it to actually provide me context of relationships, right? Like one of the things that I think most of us don't even think about is if we join an NFT project or we go to a physical event and we meet somebody, we often talk about like, oh, that relationship is really great. I know this person. But what about all of the other things that we often don't track around that relationship, right? Not only, you know, yes, I, you know, some of you are like, well, duh, Brian, we track like, did that relationship unlock a door? Sure. But what about this? What if someone a year from now goes to follow you or goes to connect with you and the only reason they decide to email you is because you're following that person, they also follow that person, they realize that there's a trust there. Well, that's not trackable today. You don't even, you're not even able to understand. And so for a lot of us, we don't do certain things because we can't visualize or we can't, we can't wrap our head around what are the, the benefits of doing such thing, right? People with content, right? Like I love helping people launch a podcast, but I will tell you most people either go in with way too high expectations or they go in with zero expectations and zero ability to judge if it's successful and they give up after seven episodes because they haven't even figured out what it is they want to do or how they want to make that happen. Now, within this whole AI thing, there's some really cool ways that people are using AI that, that we are going to see fit into our Web3 life. One of my favorites is the ability for us, you know, anyone that's used Zapier, um, these tools that allow us to link tools together, the ability for us to start creating like one-click activations or for it to understand like ticketing systems and for it to do things that we know it, it should do based on the input, right? Because there's a lot of things that people do like, hey, send, open a ticket and give me your wallet address um, or click this button and give me your wallet address and I will send you an NFT. Well, we should be able to say if someone does these two things, if they click this button and the output that they put into this, uh, you know, into the, the ticket has this hash automatically do this thing. Now, that sounds pretty simple and cool, but imagine how many different layers we can build upon that. And that's where the blockchain comes in because we're able to, to do things on smart contracts, but we're also able to do things on reviewing things, right? Like one of my favorite uh, examples of AI re recently was people that are now going in to, you know, they paid thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for security reviews or for someone to review their, their will or their document. You can now put that into these tools and ask it to find like, what are the known vulnerabilities or what are the things that have changed since this, this policy was written in 2011 that I should be aware of in, in future policies, right? Cause we're all guilty of it. If we did, if we have something that worked, right? If we have a contract, if we have an invoice that worked in the past, we like put it in there. But I will tell you, like as someone that lost, you know, 60 speaking gigs, thanks to COVID, one of the things I did not have in my contract was the idea that if the world stopped turning and everything was canceled, I get to keep my deposit or there's a way for us to fit in there, right? I didn't have a lot of these clauses in there. And now rightfully so, because guess what? I was using a, a piecemeal contract from a speaker that I had used before. Yes, I had added some of the things that I was thinking about, but there's a lot of things that, that exist in the world today that we haven't been prepared for. And most of the problem with that is if you don't know the question to ask, in many cases, you can't stay on top of things and update. The beautiful thing is with AI, most people are talking about the prompting it 
And that means we need to know what questions to ask. I'm excited about giving it something and telling me and it's and, and me referencing, hey, this is when I created it. Let me know what has changed or what are things I should be aware of or what things should I double down on or what things should I more research on? We're also seeing some cool things on data extraction, right? So like as much as like I'm not a huge email newsletter fan, but also just like consuming content. Imagine if rather than me saying, man, I want to listen to a podcast. I want to listen to every podcast on AI. What if I could give it 10 AI podcasts and say, this is what I know about AI. These are the things I care about AI. Listen to these 10 podcast episodes, which we know it doesn't listen to it, but it would pull the transcript and add things from these podcasts that are that I am not aware of that connect to what my definition of success is and provide it to me in audio format. So now me, rather than having to listen to 10 podcast episodes to get out the context that I want, I would allow it to extract that data and maximize my consumption. To me, this is beyond exciting. Now, the beauty of this or the, the scary part of this, and I, and I want to take it this way just for those that are you know kind of on that realm and, and I'll kind of pull it together here on this side, is this is where people say, and I, and I got in a great discussion uh, with my, my dear friend Crystal Washington on Facebook uh, over the last week. And, and yes, I'm a millennial that uses Facebook. I think there's a lot of great value in the conversations I have on Facebook. Um, I also love using the mute button on Facebook because there's a lot of really disconnect humans that um, they're either super negative or they're super uh, disconnected from the world. And I don't need them in my feed, so I just mute them. So just remember, you control your feed. If your Facebook feed is negative and nasty or isn't stuff that you love, it's not Facebook's fault. It's your fault. You need to curate and help the Facebook algorithm know what you like. But anyhow, that's a whole other soapbox. But I was having this discussion with my good friend, Crystal Washington, and the conversation was, won't thought leaders and keynote speakers disappear in the world of AI? If someone can prompt AI to build the slide deck, if you can prompt AI to give you the bullet points that someone should talk about, doesn't that make your job as a keynote speaker, right? My job as a keynote speaker or as a thought leader, doesn't it make what you do obsolete? And the funny thing about it is, no, I actually think it makes my job more valuable. It makes what I do more important because the truth of the matter is information has already been out there for just about everything, right? We always hear people tell you like nothing is really a new thought, right? We just kind of repackage things in different ways. But for me, the reason that it's such an important component of this is I look at this as if I'm able to spend less time making sure my bullet points match the audience that I'm, that I'm working with, I can actually spend more time getting to know the nuances of that audience, building that relationship and trust, because here's where I look at this as the future, is that we need to be better at creating that relatability factor in the context, the storytelling that we're providing, but also real time and the right time context. And so where I, I think we should, we should kind of wrap, you know, what we start thinking about now is when you look at these tools, don't look at them as what they're replacing for you. Look at them and say, what, what is the output this tool could possibly provide me that will allow me to do things even bigger or better or differently, right? And I will tell you, here's a perfect example. Um, I've told you, you know, last episode we talked about bigroom.tv, uh, which I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, they're kind of sponsoring our kind of AI spotlight uh, series that we're doing this month here on the podcast. But one of the things I love about Big Room TV is that I've always had tools 
that could take a video from vertical, from horizontal, and turn it to vertical. But for me, it's way more important for it to actually create a dynamic video that knows when to zoom in or zoom out. I also... I've always been good at adding captions to my video because I know captions matter. But let's face it, if I have a tool that creates a dynamic video and adds captions, well now, rather than me spending that time for captions, what can I do? Well, I can probably write a better description. What else can I do? I can hone in on what are words that I can highlight within the caption or within this video that will attract more people's attention and get people to listen to it more, right? Like these are all things that now it's not about, oh my goodness, video creation on TikTok will now all look the same because everybody, well, the truth is everybody will start using the features. The question then becomes how good are you at kind of leveling up and understanding your audience you know, building that trust, adding that situational awareness, that context, because just because someone is, you know, I believe my own opinion, I could give 10 people my slide deck and I could give you all of my notes for how I'm going to present information. And I can promise you, I am better at delivering it on stage and I will be, it'll make more of an impact and people will get better takeaways, me delivering it than giving it to someone else. And part of that is because there are so many nuances where like, Here's perfect context. For every, every time I tell a story, I have two versions of a story. I have the 90-second version and the five-minute version. And you may be like, well, duh, Brian. One, if it's a long talk, you're going to give the five-minute version. If it's the short talk, you're going to give the 90-second version. Actually wrong. The length of my talk does not determine which of those stories I use. It's actually the body language of the audience and the setup of what I'm going to say prior to that story. What, what am, how am I setting that up? What the audience is telling me, how, like, funny enough, if I get a lot of head nods to something that I think should actually blow people's mind, what I realize is they don't know enough for their mind to be blown. And now that story that I need to tell needs to be longer so that they actually open up their perspective. The average person would say, oh, I got the head nods. I don't need the five-minute story. I only have to give them the 90-second story because they're already nodding with me. But little do you know, most people are nodding because it's the idea of like they don't want to be exposed to say they don't know. And you should know the context of the positioning of what you have to say, how you should say it. And I know that's a little bit connecting it to a, a keynote speaker life, but this goes to everything, right? Like we know that if you are as a manager or a business owner, there are certain ways that you can display information, certain ways that you can present things that will change the context. But there will be also times that 99% of the time, something should be delivered a certain way. But who's deciding when that 1% you should change it, right? And this is where I'm excited for where AI is going. There are lots of tools. You know, open AI is going to go into it. I, we can talk a lot about a lot of the different search engine capabilities, a lot of the different things that are out there. But I want to kind of leave you with this kind of thought. I believe in Web3 and NFTs. We are, at a, we are at a tipping point, shout out to Malcolm Gladwell, or we are at an inflection point where we have to start really owning and doubling down, understanding what is that actual tangible utility that we're providing. Now, with tangible utility, the problem becomes, well, how do I do that at scale? Or how do I do that without spending a whole bunch of money? Or how do I do this in a way that is authentic and still stays on the message, but doesn't you know, make us go broke or make us hire a bunch of people? And my answer is actually AI. 
So I believe we are start, we're going to start seeing more NFT projects that are giving us, uh, they're building a software or they're building like a software as a service, right? Or they're, you know, the exclusive event component, right? But the truth of the matter is we need to simplify some of the things on the back end, right? Like education and certification. Um, I would also argue we're going to see this idea of moving towards curation of content and and curation of content being a value add for a community right so like for me it's great to have education because you own an nft it gives you access to education but you know what that's pretty much a low-hanging fruit but what if that nft unlocked a a personalized curated type of education based on who you are, what is in your wallet, what what are your buying habits when you actually joined a project. Because I will tell you, one of the biggest mistakes that we're making right now in Web3 is that we believe that if we've been in here for a while, that we no longer need to cover the basics. And you know who's guilty on that? Brian Fanzo. That's me. For those that don't know, that is my first name. Uh, <laughs> I know most people reference me as Fanzo in Web3. I'm guilty of that. I will often say, man, you know, like I, I already talked about that in a previous episode or that they can go learn about that in the first you know, 10 episodes of the show. The truth of the matter is there is we 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 as our we owe it. We owe it to our audience. We owe it to ourselves to recognize not only as time changed, but how people accept or kind of in you know, kind of let's just say absorb information has a lot to do with their situational awareness and how they're coming into something right a lot of you listen to the podcast and i bet you listen to a lot of episodes about investing in nfts before you ever bought an nft or before you were ever rug pulled or before you ever had your aha moment now i would argue once you have your aha moment in this space you should go back and start at episode 100 of the show and listen to a bunch of episodes again because truthfully, a lot of those episodes are going to hit differently because you are, your now knowledge and understanding is at a greater level. I will also tell you how I present information is drastically changed between episode 100 and episode 413 where we're at today. And so that is something that we can think about. And this is where AI is going to help because the, the, the burden doesn't have to be on all of us always having to reinvent the wheel. What if we were able to bring a lot of that information to light based on those, those data points that people were coming to, um, the, to the plate with? And I, I will tell you, I'm excited for gamification. I'm excited for, the, 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 for us to rethink what loyalty means. I, I'm excited for us to rethink what it means to have an accountability group, right? Like I, I would tell you, Meta Athletes is a is a great project, and you know, shout out to Coach B. Uh, Coach B was a guest of the podcast, and um, for those that don't know, he happens to be the strength and conditioning coach for the national champion Frozen Four NCAA men's hockey team. Uh, and I will, I will, the the name of the school I mess up every time because dyslexia, ADHD, and it's a pretty hard. It's it's Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac. Uh, see, I, more than likely, I messed that up. But what was really cool was Coach B got this shout out on the on the live broadcast on ESPN, and they said, "Hey, this team was able to come back on the third period because they actually have uh, Coach Patel, who is known as one of the greatest." 
uh, strength conditioning coaches in all of college hockey, and that allowed this team to still be going full steam in the third period, and it's probably going to give them a leg up in overtime, and then exactly 10 seconds left, 10 seconds later, 10 seconds into overtime, they scored and they won the national championship. And I say that because Coach B was a guest on the podcast, and if you listen to that episode, I went into that episode probably unlike every other interview that I've done because I knew what coach B has done for me, what his like value is as like, he might be a strength and conditioning coach via title, but he is a human optimizer in what he does for him. The idea that someone, and and he talks about this one in the interview, the fact that in the weight room, he is helping someone in strength and conditioning. They just happen to have weights on when he helps to get to know them because he ends up being a mentor, a coach, an advisor. He ends up getting them to be optimizing their their nutrition, optimizing their schoolwork, helping them become a better you know uh, you know better dad, a better uh, partner, a better um, you know, human. And it just happens to be that he's delivering that in the weight room. and And I say all of that because like the thing with meta athletes that I absolutely love is that when drew and and drew is one of the co-founders with Kevin um, at meta athletes, when he first told me about meta athletes and he will vouch for this, I told him my first thing was drew um, the utility that meta athletes provides the, this web three audience, this web three community isn't at a place to accept it. The timing is going to be off. And this is when Drew, and I tip my hat to Drew and, and the team at Meta Athletes, he was like, well, we're going to do a slow burn and we're going conti- to build small and we're going to continue to grow. And when the timing aligns, we are going to have this well-oiled machine for people to absorb and jump into. And I will tell you, the timing right now is perfect for that. And for anyone that's in the Meta Athletes community, anyone that holds one of those NFTs, I know that so many people are now being able to to tap into the utility in this project in ways they've never even thought of. And I will tell you, one of the things that he had that drew implemented was something that they call the coach bot and the coach bot allows you to ask questions anonymously and have one of the coaches. I happen to be one of them um, that are on the team be able to answer the questions, you know, anonymously for the audience and doing that using a, a tool within the discord and those type of utility, that type of access and use of something like AI will become the norm in the very near future. And so it's exciting for me because as we move towards tangible utility and we move towards what, how do we define the success of someone joining a community? Because I do believe community is not a buzzword and I do believe community is something people value. The problem is people don't know how to tangibly or conceptually convey the value of a community, not only to themselves, but to others. And here's the funny part. The combination of AI and blockchain are going to solve that. We are going to, in the very near future, and if it's not already happening now, we are actually going to be able to understand what our version of success is and able to input the, the, the current outputs that we have as humans and what we're doing. And it's going to be able to assess what are the things we're buying into, what are the things we're spending our time on, and it's going to be able to give us tangible ways for us to realize that, hey, how do I, you know, what's the ROI of community? Well, if you had a better mental health day, if you slept better, if you feel less alone, I will tell you, a lot of those things are way more valuable than money. The problem is, 
in a world where we value floor prices or people factor in what people, you know, someone's value in the world based on how much money they make or how many business they've own. The problem is we've been judging and measuring success by the variables and data that are the easiest to disclose. The beautiful thing is AI is going to allow us as humans to change the variables of how we measure success and change the way that we think about things like community, like finding people around us, like accountability. And these, this to me is where NFTs and Web3 are going to change lives and they're going to allow us to unlock doors that we didn't even know were possible or that we even were looking for. So I'll, I'll wrap that with that. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of NFT 365. As I mentioned, bigroom.tv, the link is in the bio. Make sure you use that link. It's going to be associated to my account. They have some brand new features coming out with their tool. You don't even have to be a content creator to find this valuable. So what I recommend you to do, click on the link and then just confirm your email so that you get the updates. Because the other thing that I want everybody to remember with AI, most of the tools and technology today makes it feel like, oh, I'm not sure how I would use it. The good tools and technology are evolving to teach us not only how we are going to use it, but to put them in front of us in ways that make sense. But if you're not looking, you're not listening, or you're not subscribing to those emails, how the hell could they ever know about you? And how can you stay in the know? I will also say, check out our email newsletter that we put out each and every week that will hopefully, or just about every week, uh, you know, give you additional context and ways to stay in the know. I know not everyone can listen to every episode. We are you know, kind of slowing down the amount of episodes we put out each week. And part of that is because we, we don't want to overwhelm you. We also don't want to overwhelm ourselves that so we can continue to provide value. You know, I have the AI art. I have consulting and advising. You know, I'm a full-time speaker. I'm about to head to NFT NYC uh, tomorrow morning. And all of those things, hopefully, will continue to add value to all of you that are listening. And so until next time, my friends, or until next episode, make it a great day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to NFT 365. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review, like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. Join our email list to keep up with all things NFT 365. We appreciate you spending a little of your time with us. And as always, this show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research.